The difficulty with reading into very generalized media about the candidate shortage and labor shortage is that it isn't generalized across every industry and every Mm -hmm. type of role. And there's so many other variables happening all at once Mm -hmm. uh, that impact this very important piece of discussing your pay and your value at work and what you can look for. Welcome to the One Up Project. Money is fuel that that allows you to do things. It doesn't need to be taboo. What you don't want to do is wake up at 65 realising you did something you hated and have regret. Go and find people who will give you advice for nothing. This is a space for personal growth and money chat with new perspectives every Monday. This bit of content, listening to this, is going to be a small little breadcrumb of something that makes them think a little bit differently. For all the things we were never taught but should have been. At the end of the day, the most important person is yourself. And if you're not happy with your own choices then you're never going to be happy. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the One Up Project podcast. I'm very lucky today. I have a guest who I've had on before, Rosie Nathan, a recruitment and career expert and host of Rosie on Recruitment and Career podcast as well. Now, I had you on episode 76 and 74, both over a year ago now, which um, is crazy to think about in terms of how much has probably changed in both of our lives. So I just wanted (laughs) to say thank you so much for coming on again. Such a pleasure. I love being here. Absolutely love it. Oh, awesome. Um, and yeah, we're, today we we're going to take a bit of an in-depth look at how to confidently negotiate around pay. And we were just talking about this previously, but I guess straight off the bat, I want to ask you, looking at the current employment market, shall we call it? <laughs> like, what are you saying? Jump right in. Yeah. <laughs> they're saying, you know, though they were saying there was a labor shortage and then there was lots of candidates and so what are you seeing now what's happening yeah it's I mean it's been a very interesting time for the entirety that I've been in recruitment which is Mm. two years (laughs) but I have been a candidate and hiring manager previously so I understand this dynamic from both sides the difficulty with reading into very generalized media about the candidate shortage and labor shortage is that it isn't generalized across every industry and every Mm. type of role So, um, you know, I get candidates who have been on the market for a wee while, they're looking for new roles, or they're just, they're looking for an opportunity to change, and it's taking longer than they would expect. Um, And then we have roles that are very difficult to fill with a very particular skill set for organizations. And so it's marrying those two together. It's finding people who are ready to have the conversation for the right role. And that's why working really closely with a recruitment agent like us, you know, can help speed up that process. It is interesting to stay across. Um, if you look at some of the reports that come out of stuff, they do release monthly figures for different types of industries. And, you know, in the last year, they'd seen so many adverts placed in very minimal candidate applications. And last month was the first month that they saw a reduction in adverts. And I think that there's a lot of drivers, obviously there's some uncertainty with the economy in general, but um, certainly a number of individual businesses that are advertising directly and recruitment agents are seeing a a very poor return on that investment Mm. um, into SEEK. So it'll just be, it's it's going to continue to be fluid, I think for at least the next 18 months to two years. And with this upcoming new spike of COVID Mm. um, and changes with interest rates and homes and bank lending, I mean, there's so many other variables happening all at once Mm. uh, that impact this very important piece of 
discussing your pay and your value at work and what you can look for. Yeah, it's it's easy, I think, like you said, to get caught up in the, the media articles and things as well, especially, mm. like you said, there's so much going on. We instantly see headline recession and then we're worrying about our jobs and then also we're still wanting to grow within our current careers, but then it's like, well, if there's a recession, is that going to be possible? Are the companies we're working for going to struggle? And so I think having the skills in order to be able to set yourself upright when it comes to I guess like being paid what you deserve or or getting paid what you um to what your value is is really important. How do you think like we broach that pay conversation initially? I mean, I guess if we're thinking about interviewing because obviously yeah. it'll be a different situation to when you're in a job already, I suppose, but how do we actually start that conversation if we're in a position where we're looking for a new job? Yeah. Um, I think before even talking about how we broach it, the the first thing I always advise people to do is prepare. Before you're talking about it, you've really got to do some preparation in the background. So mm. whether you jump in or the person, the recruiter or the company that you're speaking with, whether they ask about it first, you've got to be at a point where you feel comfortable enough to have a conversation that is as factual about like your skill set or what you could bring to the job. So being clear and concise about that. Either way, if it's them or you that brings up the conversation, it's where you just say, you know, we don't need <laughs> this whole algebraic formula about how you got to this <laughs> methodology behind this particular number, which a lot of people try and provide me with. Mm. I don't have an emotional attachment to your number. Um, and I think that's really important for people to continue to remember. They don't need to justify that immediately. If you are questions around it, if you're questioned around it, then, you know, certainly um, also prepare so that you can discuss why it is that number. Um, but when you bring it up, you could state with something like, you know, I'm receiving a market-based salary because I know that some people, there's lots of training around, don't give them the number that you're on. Like that's completely irrelevant. From a recruiter's perspective, I mean, you don't have to provide your current salary, but it doesn't really build trust and confidence in you as a candidate if we don't have all of the information to work with. We'll know if you're being underpaid. And there's been a lot of market correction going on. So you've got to remember that we want to place you as a recruiter and we're not personally invested in this number. That number's not coming out of my bank account. So if you're over explaining, it kind of shows that you either lack confidence or you don't have a real idea of what the market, where the market sits in relevance to, you know, what you're being paid. Mm. But if you're going to, as I was starting earlier, if you want to kind of frame it, you could say something like, you know, I'm receiving a market salary that's in the bracket of like 80 to 90K. So you could give a range of around 10K with benefits or without or any additionals you're getting, learning and development. And you can state outright, you know, I'm ideally looking for a base salary of you know, 105K in my next step. But for the right role and professional development and a great culture, I would consider something at 100K. In that preparation, it is about kind of understanding your numbers and framing it in a really confident way when you're delivering it. That's, I think, broaching it is all about that confidence and knowing how to deliver. Yeah. How do you think the framing it differs if you're talking directly to the person who is going to pay you in essence versus a recruiter 
Yeah, I think that they still want to know the number. So are we talking more small businesses or a hiring manager or because there's usually two or three Mm. steps removed even before you're having that discussion with the hiring manager. The reason we have the conversation up front is we don't want to waste your time, all the time of our clients presenting you and then there's a huge gap that we just know their budget won't kind of align with. So that's Mm. why giving it that story of, you know, this is where I'm currently at, um, this is where I plan to be, that doesn't stop you from having an an additional conversation yeah yeah and finding out more about kind of the role in the fit but if you are 50k away or 40k away then um it doesn't really make sense yeah I think it also speaks to like you said knowing your numbers and but going into that conversation aware of what you actually want not sort of like mm. thinking oh I would probably like this I'll just push it and see where I can get to with it because then you'll then like you said, it probably comes across quite inauthentic and also like you're a bit underprepared and don't really know what you're talking about. If you come in with a quite clear idea of what you want and then if necessary, why you want it, then that speaks to the person you're talking to as well. Yeah. So I, when I run through mentee sessions about this, about interview preparation or even um, you know, performance discussions, I talk about having a low, medium and high number and Mm -hmm. then aligning it to your interest in the particular role or staying within your particular company or what needs to change to increase that number. Mm -hmm. So let's say you're going through Seek. I've got this little framework that I use with people and I get them to align kind of how much of the skill set they believe that they meet, where the possible gaps might be so they can then create stories around those and talk to those as well. Um, And then how interested they are in the role, even just from the advert. So it might be like, uh, this is kind of a five or six, but directionally it might help me to get somewhere. Or this is a nine or 10. I'd love this role. This would be amazing. And it's a bit stretched, but I can add value, all those things. So you might have a low number of kind of 90 for a role that's at a nine or Mm. a low number of like a hundred K if it's a four because you want to get paid a little bit more if it's not kind of a job that you love. So that type of preparation, like really looking at it as as something that you are preparing for to deliver um, mm. as a job interview is, is incredibly important. Mm. Yeah, and I suppose that would also help you feel a lot less worried going into it because I know for me, I get so scared when I have to think about doing any kind of negotiation and and I guess selling myself in a way because that's what it feels like you have to do and you might disagree with that and have some thoughts on how you can frame it so you don't feel like you're you know trying to sell yourself like a car salesman but with who you are how do you think we can reduce that fear and imposter syndrome going into these situations yeah and I mean this to me again does go back to that framework because it gives Mm. you something to fall back on that feels very factual but you you can also create nearly like a a separate persona and I think we've talked about this before about you know looking at this as to how would you advocate for your best friend as opposed to yourself right so when you put together that framework aligning that interest of you know this is professional me and what does professional me need for this to work what does that look like and having a framework of okay these are the roles I've applied for it also means you can have a really effective conversation with the recruiter there's Mm -hmm. nothing worse than ringing a person and they're like sorry I don't which role was this again I've applied for so many (laughs) yeah it's and I get it 
you know, I've certainly, I've, I've had periods in my career where I've sprayed and prayed with CVs. Um, <laughs> some people haven't, that's great. Good for them. They've been mm-hmm. perfect, but I have been through that. Um, but having a framework and then really deciding whether you even want to apply for that role mm-hmm. and like it has to meet a criteria of six or seven before I apply or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and we are all in different situations. Sometimes it's just, yes, I do need a job. Um, but then I think you're not doing yourself any favors with those applications if you do get a phone call, if you're not prepared at least in that way. So you can create like a Google sheet or a Excel sheet or a document and just be able to call it up on your phone and say, hey, I'll give you a bell back in two minutes. I'm just caught up in something. Refresh yourself on your framework and whatever the role is and then call them back and have a really centered conversation about the role. Around that as well, I would recommend downloading the advert from Seek into a PDF and saving that in a file, maybe linking that on your framework so that you know exactly what role it is that they're discussing. Mm. Uh, It's nothing less than kind of, if you have applied for a lot of roles, not knowing exactly which role it is and highlighting your key strengths to that role. When you were mentioning how people spray and and pray, and it's really important to think about if you actually want that role or not, but then sometimes it's hard to do that because you might be in a state of stress or, or whatever yeah. it is. Yeah, and, but I, I completely agree that you're doing yourself a disservice in the long term. And I often say to myself in that process that I want to be strict with where I work, even if I am kind of desperate. But I know that that can be really hard. And so yeah. is there anything in addition to what you're saying about how we can go forward with this process without applying a level of desperation like how can we sort of sift through different roles in order to figure that out yeah that's a really personal I think question because Mm -hmm. individuals will feel that level of anxiety and stress um, and the pressures that they have financially in very different ways and that drives us in very different ways right um in terms of what I see I think feeding this back from what I see as a recruiter in the conversations I try to support those candidates that really I feel are flustering it it is about being able to center themselves and um just having you don't have to do the complete framework and write this all out and have the links to the ads and download them if you, you just feel I don't have the time but at least get one story that yep. will be the core of who you are and what you bring. And you can tell that in a succinct manner. It doesn't need to be a novel. Like we mm-hmm. just, if you get that clear and then you can kind of continue the conversation from there, but you've got to be able to strip out all of that emotion, which is a difficult thing to do when there's pressures of life and yeah. finances and potentially family and you know, a lot going on. I I understand that. I faced that before. My family went through that when I was younger. So I've seen kind of what what that does. I'm not saying it's a perfect formula for everybody and it is a difficult thing to do. Um, But when you are yourself in that position, you will never be able to bring kind of the best part of yourself to shine. So just try and concentrate then on one part of that story that you can tell really well. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And Slightly off topic from that, but you're just inspiring me with everything you're saying. <laughs> I have too many questions that 
aren't in line with what I'm supposed to be talking about. Totally fine. <laughs> we'll get there still, I'm sure. <laughs> and when when someone is that, like say they have their story and they, they are a bit more confident in who they are, but then they're going and looking at job ads and they're trying to identify which jobs resonate with them. Have you ever seen anyone do something like identify you know, before they go through the job ads, like write down the five things they want in a company they're they're trying to yeah. work for or like how they've gone to look at it that way? Yeah. So um, I speak to my mentees about reverse engineering that. Quite often it is like, you know, build your own dream job description and mm. uh, where do you start? <laughs> what, is that, yeah. what does that look like? I, what, I can do all of the things. And I think that's obviously a, a lot of what we're seeing now around some of the articles where the opportunities are vast and yeah. uh, each of us individually have a variety of skill sets now that we can focus into different areas, but might not be as fulfilling if we can't do more of those things. So mm. I say to my candidates, I'm like, if you see a, an advert that you like, then pull two or three sentences or skill sets out of that job advert. And then that's how you create your perfect job description. So then at the end of it, if you're starting to have conversations with an organization and you're progressing through the the rounds, um, you have something you can fall back on and you can ask them, would I also have an ability to do X, Y, Z? Or, you know, mm-hmm. can we develop into this area? So instead of starting with a blank sheet, um, you know, the adverts are out there, take pieces out of each of those and then build your own structure. Um, And then you can continue to kind of build your skills to that because that's Mm. something that's important to you and is going to drive you and that you're interested by already. The ads are up. That means that that role exists and those opportunities are tangible. Like you're not just creating something. You don't know if that exists or so a wide framework of either the title of the role or the obviously the department great but then yeah pick and mix yeah yeah and then you can that even gives you some sort of direction to uh curate your own skill set around which I think is a really cool idea because a lot of people can say they want something but then it's like how do we get there so I think having that is actually really really helpful as well and what do you think in these situations going back to the initial topic (laughs) which was discussing pay What do you think we need to be aware of in those situations that can work to our detriment? Given the candidate shortage, clients really are are paying what they can for the resource that they need. We're figuring out ways to do that. So if you're being paid well for the experience you have, we've actually seen some increases in salary that are above market level. I just want people to keep in mind that they might not be able to secure that same salary elsewhere at the moment. You know, the the salary ranges for a role are called a range for a reason. Um, So if you're in the upper end of that, I just think that's something that people need to be aware of. And that's not, you know, not saying you won't continue to accelerate in the future. Mm. um, But if there's reasons you're looking elsewhere, you know, having personally worked in a couple of environments that were not fantastic, like an additional 20 or 30K, it's not worth a terrible culture fit or Mm. an ineffectual or insensitive leadership team um, and a lack of personal growth. So I think just you've got to, for yourself, decide what the importance is of the salary Mm. and of the role um, and what you will get moving forward because the grass generally looks greener. Uh, but you haven't played in that paddock yet. 
So mm. <laughs> you don't really know. Do you have any examples of times where you've used some of these negotiation techniques or you've tried to negotiate around pay? Like I try and think of the objective of what is this conversation about? Mm -hmm. So it comes down to effectively communicating that value that you bring to the company Mm. and the ease with which you uniquely perform in that role. Like I think those are the two things. And then in terms of negotiation, it's around gaining agreement (laughs) around that. Um, I was just speaking to an HR manager earlier today and he was talking about this where people are doing what they would deem to be some pretty fantastic work, but it's actually not aligned to either their role or the organizational direction. Mm-hmm. Um, not completely off off the scope, but it's not absolutely aligned. So you've got to keep that in mind when you're negotiating. Like, why is this important to the business? Why are you unique and able to have this conversation and what is it that you can bring and and add that is different and valuable I think it's just centering on kind of those points and again it's it's back to that preparation of then how do I communicate that what facts do I have to back that up Um, what testimonials what proof Um, and if a lot of it's kind of light and culture that's amazing but then you also need to balance it out with efficiency gains or percentage of cost reduction or you know boring numbers but (laughs) things that the company can then use and and say yeah this is absolutely what difference has been made and we need to reward this human (laughs) I love that and how do you think employers and maybe more so these days typically approach conversations around pay like did they have habits themselves that they'll use or things they'll say or yeah if you look at some companies that lean very heavily into their recruitment partners for negotiation particularly they don't you know they've got an idea going into the first conversation around what the salary expectation is Mm -hmm. so there's no kind of mystery there Uh, it might be down to some further negotiation um, down the path so this is it's great because we can advocate for the candidate and their value at that number. And we can talk to the client and kind of really understand those areas of challenge in their business that they will impact immediately. Um, If you are working with a SME, you know, you might enter at a particular amount and then you might actually see some acceleration in salary happen faster uh, because there's a smaller team and the impact's quite direct and everything happens pretty fast. Mm. But if you're working in a large multinational, a corporate, very formal environment, mm. it can be very tiered. Um, you might not be able to step outside of that tier ever if you <laughs> have not reached a certain level within the organization. Um, so there are restrictions depending on you know, what type of industry you work in and, and what size organization. Yeah, you mentioned small to medium enterprises. You might see uh, an increase in pay a little bit faster just because there might be more growth or it might be a startup or something like like that whatever the situation is do you think there's a too soon from starting a job to to ask for a pay rise yeah I don't think so I mean I um depending on the role and, and the skill and experience and if there's any risk like if it's a transferable skill situation and they're outside of the industry then um 
I might I I discuss potentially with the candidate and or the client about setting in a clause for a, an increase or a discussion around review. Mm. Um, one and you know I I did this with a really large organisation that had absolutely like their HR team, their recruitment team was like, we have never seen this before. <laughs> we, we don't do things this way. Um, but the person had exceptional skill and it was a very niche skill. And um, it was a bit of a risk because it was moving from what they knew in terms of industry type, but everything was transferable. So they agreed on an initial base salary and then they agreed at four months in to have a review and they actually set a particular amount around mm. what would be discussed. So you know, that's very formal yeah. <laughs> and that can happen there. Um, but I think that if, you, if you're not happy when you sign up, you know, ideally you'd be happy when you sign up and, and it's kind of a 12-month review or when that falls in line with the organisation. Um, but then, yeah, ask if you can have something written into your schedule about at least a conversation for review mm. uh, and what needs to be discussed or agreed for me to move forward by any amount Mm, mm, okay and then once you're in the job there must be differences there compared to asking for a pay rise before you've started what do you see those differences as being yeah I think this goes back to kind of just the value that you can add right because you're now in there you understand the working um you know, understand the politics. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's a huge part of, <laughs> of these conversations. And you're lying if you say it's not. Mm. As much as we would love to think that every organization um, operates strictly on performance, you know, that we're, we're human. And some of this isn't just on performance, which is why it's really important if you are wanting to have this conversation that you keep track of kind of just keep an eye on the market and particularly what your achievements are Mm. so that you have reason to raise a conversation with the organization. How do you think there's any differences in how we should prepare for this meeting versus preparing for a meeting that is like an an interview? Because I know some people will say whether it's recruiters or people who've, um, worked in jobs for a long time that you should keep track of all the things you've achieved within the business or take you know mark of those things as you move through is that something you would suggest as well I mean in terms of that preparation aligning to the objectives that you have been provided most of us go through a performance review um how are you aligning to them and Mm. if you're missing the mark why and how is it your understanding is it your execution so just get the answers to those questions so you can continue to tweak if you like I do agree I think you need to keep like a weekly or a monthly checklist of where you've made impact again both kind of tangible what those numbers were projects that you were involved with mm-hmm. uh, kind of the contribution so that you can speak to that later um, and anything intangible you know as the head of the social group yay mm. um <laughs> everybody had a great quiz night yeah. um <laughs> I do people forget about those things though because there's have you seen that it takes so much time and effort it does and have you seen those tiktoks I don't know if you are a bit of a TikTok I'm not a tiktok I like I don't even have it like my oh. son does enough for both of us he watches enough for both okay of us, well yeah me. I'm I'm definitely on that wavelength and there's the there's a lot of jokes about career in general but there's this one that goes around and people are like when I walk into work and when I walk into the office and I know I'm just the personality hire and people talk about how it's like they're just there for their personality but I think it is important to register what things you're doing that aren't tangible 
like yeah. how you bring people I, I agree because if you, if you don't have those people in an office you know things could you, the culture could die potentially yeah so I, I, it's interesting to me those things and how would you suggest communicating that like what if you what if you feel like you have this intangible value that you're giving to the company but it's not something that you can say like I was the head of the social committee it's something more like you're the one in the office that people often come to if there's a conflict or something like that. How would you suggest communicating yeah. that? Yeah, it it is difficult, but I, I think everybody <laughs> does does know. So you mm. get, um, when you're listing it, it's, it's just going to have to be a one-liner of, you know, contribute positively to uh, company morale or mm. increase... Uh, interactions with colleagues or reduce mm. conflict in X department, um, yeah. kind of those things. I, I mean, I go back to one of the happiest times in my career when I worked at Freedom and two years after leaving there, even if I saw people while we were crossing the road, we'd stop in the middle of the road and have a big hug. And, yeah. you know, people were like, it's not the same since you left. And yeah. that was just one of the, it's, you know, I, I was definitely a personality hire, but I did great work too. So, <laughs> but I, I, that stuff makes your own heart happy. Yeah. So beyond um, kind of, yes, I think it's worth mentioning in that intangibles field and it is important and companies are recognizing more and more they need these people because mm. they're glue and they can help leadership smooth over some of their mistakes looking from a purely commercial lens, um, you will walk out of that with friendships for life mm. and people that are connected to you in ways that so many others won't. So it's it's you getting something out of it in return, irrespective. I know that's not exactly aligned to the question, but <laughs> but it, it, yeah, I think communicating that is a, unfortunately is a one-liner, but um, in a human spirit level, uh, it's an amazing connection that that can bring other opportunities further down the track as well yeah no I absolutely agree and I think it's a part of it's almost a part of that personal brand you build for yourself within an office environment as well that I think like you said people people know and if you can I guess learn to acknowledge that that's a strength of yours as well as an important part of being able to communicate it effectively because a lot of the people who might bring those things to a company might not feel fully comfortable to acknowledge that you are that person that people just love and they always feel good when they're around you and those sorts of things as well. Having a chat with HR, if you have an HR team, like they are, they're always looking for, for that because it definitely helps them support their role and their messages. So most organizations attempt to show some types of gratitude to people that are really showing that as a value most organizations want to have a great community <laughs> like that, yeah. company spirit so <laughs> um so yeah I mean if, if there's if there's not a opportunity for recognition in your organization now then go to HR and ask you know mm -hmm. what can we get around to this I heard something fantastic on a um audiobook yesterday and it was talking about a like a a gift card that wasn't it wasn't a huge amount it was like I don't know fifty dollars or something but somebody who displayed a company value of um, connection or great staff morale or supporting another work colleague mm. would get a fifty dollar gift voucher and then the next week they had to nominate the next person but they couldn't be in the same department as them mm. and so and they'd have to give the reason why they nominated this person so every week an email would go around saying that such and such nominated such and such and this is why. 
So by the oh. end of the year, you've got 50 stories of company values being shared, of people acknowledging people in other departments, um, and it couldn't be given to the same person again until it had been through everyone in the organization. Right. So everybody hmm. had, you know, to look for the good and others like actively look every week, mm. which I think is a beautiful thing to try and attempt to do in your organization anyway. And around success stories for uh, pay conversations, do you have any examples yeah. of, I guess, those times where people were successful and what made that different or what made it successful? I've got one particular story I wanted to share because this person, she's amazing first and foremost, <laughs> but uh, we were doing these conversations over coffees with her career when COVID started and I'd been mm -hmm. doing some mentor work with her. She, um, I'd worked with her over a decade ago, uh, but she'd recently separated in a marriage and moved cities bravely with her two children. In this particular conversation over coffee, she was just kind of like, I don't see any skill in myself. I've been a stay-at-home mom. I've, you know, I've not really done anything absolute bollocks she um <laughs> had been running the family business and running the home like they ran farms and businesses and it's like oh my god you did so much working walking into a traditional job with what she saw as no skill set was something really daunting to her mm. and it, having any of these conversations around pay like what am I worth I don't know what's the lowest dollar that people can pay people and what was really lovely on that call is these women were just like no you're amazing and um, so another great <laughs> example of people just going you know you'll find your way and you've done all these brave yeah. things already you can do another brave thing so this was about two years ago she got her first job and it was it wasn't great uh, but it was a foot in the door job and she did you know she didn't really negotiate for that that was fine by the time she'd been in there kind of three or so months, she recognized like she had skill. Mm. <laughs> she, she'd been working in real estate previously and a salesperson and worked in council. And yeah, so mm. she'd done a lot of things. So she landed this role as an executive assistant and we talked through kind of what she should do to negotiate the package. And she um, negotiated the base and there was a little bit of a bonus when she could look at a review. I talked to her about putting that in as a clause for a conversation in three months and she did. And so, you know, within a year, she's become indispensable. And then they changed the bonus structure. So in her second year, she started training people in the office and people that had been there for three or four years started asking her for advice. And she, she felt really valued and great at doing this job. Um, and mm. I think, you know, when you had the confidence knocked out of you, you forget that you are capable. And she has now earning more in bonuses over double than she earns in her base salary. Wow. And um, just yesterday she got in touch with me and I wrote this down because she's been nominated for sales or personal associate of the year, which is basically equivalent to the Oscars for their business. Like what I took away from that, the moral of the story for me was that even if you've lost time or you've lost direction or you know, you, you lost a particular role you were really after or you missed out on a salary bump, that opportunity and possibility is around if you're willing to be brave, if you're open to continue to learn and use your experience and pivot in relevant ways. Like I just, mm. I'm so inspired by her, the fact that she is like knocking salary. She is, she's like, I never thought I could 
step in and, and kind of in year two, <laughs> yeah, double her salary. That is amazing. That's so inspiring. And I think, like you said, a really, really, really crucial lesson for people who have been out of the game for a while, feel like they're starting from scratch, even a completely new role, switching careers, taking those risks is so scary and feeling like you're starting from nothing can really deplete your confidence. So hearing that I think is extremely positive and will be really motivating for a lot of people. Yeah, we laugh now at the first three mentor calls where she was sitting in her car in a car park crying for the entirety of our call to now like just being Miss Sassy confident, knows all of the things, like not in a terrible way, just, you know, just, she's got it. Um, so I, I'm just, I'm just like, I knew just like, how did you know? I said, I knew when you were there crying, you just needed to get that out of your system and get refocused and you had it in you and you needed the right opportunity. She's got this amazing Mm -hmm. female leader who's empowers her and gives her more opportunity um, yes. So I, yeah, I couldn't be prouder and happier for her. Oh, my heart is so full <laughs> with that story. I love that so much. It's so, so cool for her and just so exciting as an example of what we can all do and all achieve. So I just, I love that. Thank you for sharing You're that. You're welcome. <laughs> I think it's a perfect place to end this episode. Rosie, I wanted to say thank you again for jumping on I always enjoy our conversations and I just really appreciate all the value you've given to me and the time over these last three episodes so thank you so much it's such a pleasure I um I love being able to share this and you know people that don't have exposure to it they don't necessarily know where to go so you are sharing amazing information and content and and just possibility with people so I love that in your work too Sarah Oh, thank you so much. And just finally, if people want to get in touch with you or follow you or um, have recruitment advice or work with you, how do they do that? Yeah. So rosieherkareer.com, which is R-O-S-E-Y. Of course, I spell it the weird way. Um, Or just find me on LinkedIn. (laughs) Okay, amazing. And I'll leave that below for anyone interested. Rosie is amazing. So thank you, everyone. And we'll see you next week. Alright guys, thank you so much for listening. I really hope you were able to take something valuable away. Um, Be sure to subscribe and keep up with the socials for further episodes at The One Up Project and I'll catch you on the next one.